Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are a God who has made yourself known to us. You have graciously revealed your wonderful character and your plan of salvation to sinners like us who have rebelled against you. And we thank you for what we learn about you through your word. And we pray that as we read this portion of the Old Testament scriptures that you would speak to us by your spirit. We pray that We would not just learn with our heads about what you have to say here, but um, we pray that uh, you would change us deeply. Uh, You would transform our lives um, by your grace and kindness and through your spirit and your word. So we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, If you have a Blue Church Bible, there'll be a bookmark already there for you, but the words will be up on the screen. From Ruth chapter 3. One day, Ruth's mother-in-law, Naomi, said to her, My daughter, I must find a home for you where you will be well provided for. Now Boaz, with whose women you have worked, is a relative of ours. Tonight he will be winnowing barley on the threshing floor. Wash, put on perfume and get dressed in your best clothes. Then go down to the threshing floor. But don't let him know you are there until he has finished eating and drinking. When he lies down, note the place where he is lying. Then go and uncover his feet and lie down. He will tell you what to do. I will do whatever you say, Ruth answered. So she went down to the threshing floor and did everything her mother-in-law told her to do. When Boaz had finished eating and drinking and was in good spirits, he went over to lie down at the far end of the grain pile. Ruth approached quietly, uncovered his feet and lay down. In the middle of the night, something startled the man. He turned, and there was a woman lying at his feet. Who are you? he asked. I am your servant, Ruth, she said. Spread the corner of your garment over me, since you are a guardian redeemer of our family. The Lord bless you, my daughter, he replied. This kindness is greater than that which you showed earlier. You have not run after the younger men, whether rich or poor. And now, my daughter, don't be afraid. I will do for you all you ask. All the people of my town know that you are a woman of noble character. Although it is true that I am a guardian redeemer of our family, there is another who is more closely related than I. Stay here for the night, and in the morning, if he wants to do his duty as your guardian redeemer, good, let him redeem you. But if he is not willing, as surely as the Lord lives, I will do it. Lie here until morning. So she lay at his feet until morning, but got up before anyone could be recognised. And he said, no one must know that a woman came to the threshing floor. He also said, bring me the shawl you are wearing and hold it out. When she did so, he poured into it six measures of barley and placed the bundle on her. Then he went back to town. When Ruth came to her mother-in-law, Naomi asked, How did it go, my daughter? Then she told her everything Boaz had done for her and added, He gave me these six measures of barley, saying, Don't go back to your mother-in-law empty-handed. Then Naomi said, Wait, my daughter, until you find out what happens, for the man will not rest until the matter is settled today. It is good to see you. Uh, here this morning. You made it to another day through the wind and 
whatever else is going on in your life, it's, that's kind of one of the kindnesses of God, right, uh, that we can gather together this morning. So one of the things about being a Christian is you, you kind of start to see the kindness of God everywhere. You, uh, you see everything. You start to see all of life as a, as a kind of undeserved gift to you that you don't deserve, that's just been given to you. Friends, as, we, we're read, as Steve mentioned, we're reading through this book of Ruth. It's an incredible little story in the Old Testament. Uh, it's a story that's all about kindness. It's all about kindness. We're, we're struck by kindness, right? I'm sure you can think of times in your life, people in your life who have been just unusually kind to you. Um, I think I've mentioned before, uh, for those regulars here, I went to a boarding school for the last few years of my schooling, and it wasn't always easy. Um, but one of the things that really sustained me at the time, and as I look back, I'm really thankful for, is just the kind of the surprising and unasked-for kindnesses of many people. Um, the church that I belong to, people would you know just welcome me around to their place. A uh, little pimply kid every Sunday just to hang out with their families. Uh, the letters from home each week. The youth group leader who just paid attention to me and who just seemed to kind of actually take interest in me as a person. Um, all these little kind of kindnesses, little kindnesses that have a big impact on your life. And I'm sure, you know, that's just kind of one brief example, but many of us will have similar kind of stories to tell, right, of these little kindnesses that people give to us. We've seen the kind, this theme of kindness all through the book of Ruth so far. Uh, back in chapter 1, if you were here a couple of weeks ago, we saw uh, that chapter 1 painted this picture of the welcoming kindness of God. Uh, the, the God who was kind of sovereignly working behind the scenes to bring um, Naomi back to himself, even though she had gone away, and to bring Ruth to, to himself, um, this Moabite woman who was not part of his people, this, this kind of sovereign, welcoming kindness. And friends, this is a big thing as we move into chapter 3, which we'll get to in a minute, uh, this, this, the way that this kindness of God kind of flows into people and, and out of them as well. Um, but it, there's uh, quite a few of us here who haven't been here over the last couple of weeks, so it's worth just having a, a brief recap of the story so far. It's really important as we get to this part of Ruth that you kind of know in broad brushstrokes what's come before. Uh, as you start reading through Ruth, it opens with this story about an Israelite man and his wife, Naomi. Uh, they leave their town of Bethlehem in the, the place of Israel, God's kind of chosen place where he brought his people to stay. They leave there because there's a famine. They go to a country called Moab. Moab wasn't just next door. It was quite a long way away. as a foreign land, a land where uh, cruel idols were worshipped. Uh, and while they're out there, they, they kind of go there and, and, and they continue to live. They presumably get some food. But while, while they're there, tragedy strikes. Uh, if you remember the story, the man, Elimelech, and the man and his sons both all die. Uh, and it leaves Naomi alone with um, her two daughters-in-law, Ruth and Orpah. Um, she returns to Israel, Naomi returns to Israel with one of them, with Ruth. Um, Orpah goes back to Moab. Okay, so we saw, we saw last week in chapter 2, at the start of chapter 2, Naomi is still, um, she's, she's still in deep darkness. Um, she's bitter. We saw that through chapter 1. She gets back to Bethlehem bitter. Uh, she's depressed. 
Uh, but last week in chapter 2, we saw that Ruth kind of takes the initiative. She comes back with Naomi, this daughter-in-law who's not related to anyone. She's in this foreign land, but she's come with Naomi into her people and under her God. Ruth takes the, the, this great initiative. She, um, she has the drive. She, she knows that they need to eat, so she goes out and starts to glean in a field to gather up the grain that was left over on the ground in one of the local fields. Uh, And already we can see the kindness of God here. You see, uh, kindness was literally written into the life of this people, Israel, of God's people. It was literally written into their laws. Right? uh, God had commanded them, kind of briefly talked about this last week a little bit, God had commanded them, given them laws that uh, when they were harvesting, so when they were kind of out harvesting in the fields, they were to leave the edges of the field um, so that... Uh, the poor and widows and uh, foreigners who were in their midst, they could sort of eat from the edges of the fields. Not only that, not just to leave the edges, but anything that they accidentally dropped as they were going along, um, God had said, don't pick it up, don't take it for yourself, just leave it there for someone to come and gather and and pick up for themselves. So for the poor, the widows, the foreigners, uh, it was a kind of inbuilt generosity in the life of Israel. Um, a concern for others that meant they wouldn't just grab everything for themselves. So there's Ruth, right? You've got Ruth. She's picking, over, picking up the leftover grain that's dropped on the ground or that, that's kind of left around the edges of the fields. And it just so happens, remember that last week, it just so happens, of course it didn't just so happen. There's no kind of accidents here, but it's written in a way that there's all these coincidences that are clearly there to tell you that actually God's behind all of this. It just so happens, as it turns out, she happened to walk into the field of this guy called Boaz. Uh, Boaz is a relative of Naomi. Um, He'd heard about what Ruth had done and about Ruth's kindness to Naomi, this daughter-in-law who really, you know, from any logical perspective, should have stayed home in Moab but came with Naomi back to Bethlehem. Boaz has heard about Ruth's kindness to Naomi. uh, And he goes above and beyond. uh, I'm still recapping, okay, not this chapter, but last week we saw he goes above and beyond the the law that was written. He doesn't just say, let her pick up the stuff that was dropped. He kind of whispers to his workers and says, uh, let her just accidentally... (laughs) pull some of the sheaves out, the grain out, and just leave them there for Ruth specifically. Um, he goes above and beyond and tells, her, tells them to drop the grain. And then at the, when you get to the end of chapter 2, we were up to last week, it's like this, it's a, bit of a, it's a pretty windy day today, but it's like there's a bit of a, a kind of a wind change at the end of chapter 2. This sort of refreshing breeze comes. Uh, this refreshing breeze starts to blow. The, the change in Naomi from the start of chapter 2 to the end is extraordinary. At the start, she can't think of anything. She's just in blackness and has no kind of initiative. At the end of chapter 2, uh, she hears about Boaz and she starts to see the way that God is still working his kind ways in her life, even through all her tragedy. God had not stopped showing his kindness to the living and the dead, she says to Ruth. And then you get this kind of settling down of the story between chapter 2 and 3, where we're up to today. You get the kind of this, this settling down of the story. 
Uh, Ruth stays on gathering up the grain uh, all through the barley harvest and the wheat harvest, we're told. They reckon it's probably about seven weeks. So it's a fair, you know, it's a a few months that this life just goes on. Uh, Ruth is still um, uh, gathering the grain and Boaz is presumably still making sure the people, the workers pull out extra bits for her. Um, the story could have ended there on one level, but there's so much that's unresolved in it at this point in chapter 3. You're kind of left hanging. Naomi and Ruth are okay at the moment, but what about once the harvest is finished? Um, what will happen to them when it finishes? What about longer term? Are, they, are Naomi and Ruth going to finish their days as, as both as widows? So what's, and what's the deal with Boaz? We've kind of noticed in chapter 2, he's noticed this young woman. Uh, What's the deal with that? Is his kindness to her perhaps a sign of something more? Of course, if you know the story, you know that it is. But it's all unresolved at this point. Friends, uh, that's kind of where we're up to at at chapter 3. All these kind of tensions that are waiting to be answered. And and what we what we hope to do now is to uh, we'll read through this chapter together. We'll look through some of the things that come out to us and wrap things up at the end uh, to see what God has to say to us. Um, you see, right at the start, and as, as usual, there's a bit of an outline there. It'll help you sort of keep track of where we're up to. Uh, right at the start of that chapter three that we looked at, uh, there's this bold and dangerous plan that gets hatched in the first few verses. We saw back in chapter 2, right, at the start of chapter 2, Ruth, uh, Naomi is just too bitter, she's too depressed to kind of take initiative to do anything. Uh, Ruth takes all the initiative. But you can see how Naomi is, has, she's slowly been transformed by God's kindness to her, by God's grace. She's come to recognise God's kindness. She kind of notices it. She's come to see it and she's had those seven weeks of the harvest to kind of let it sink into her heart and to think about it. And she starts to see a possibility. Boaz is a guardian redeemer. We kind of learnt that term last week. We saw that last week. The idea of being a guardian redeemer was another part of Israel's law. They're kind of the laws that govern them and all about, and again showed how kindness was built into their law. This guardian redeemer idea was a male relative who had the responsibility of caring for and kind of bailing out their family members when they were in kind of big trouble or um, total poverty or anything like that. Or, uh, so it all clicks into place for Naomi when she comes up. She, comes, you know, she notices, okay, we've got Boaz, single, <laughs> guardian redeemer. And we've got Ruth in his field. It all clicks into place for Naomi. She comes up with a plan and she decides to jump so the harvest is over at the start of this chapter. Harvest times, and they're now winnowing on the flesh, threshing floor. So they've gathered all the grain in, they're chucking it up in the air and letting the chaff float away so they just have the grain left over. Uh, this would have been this big open space with piles of grain on the floor. Um, it, it, the winnowing, this, it'd go on through the night, right? Or, you know, going into the night and start early the next day. So often the, the workers would... Uh, as they were going, they'd just sleep on the threshing floor uh, so that they could sort of continue on into the night and then go to sleep and then get up early the next day and, and go for it. They could start. 
And Naomi knows enough about Boaz and about his character. Think about Boaz, right? He's the boss. Presumably he doesn't have to camp out on the threshing floor overnight. Uh, but, but Naomi knows enough about him to know that he'll be there. He'll be sleeping on the floor with his men. So she tells Ruth her plan. And there's something really interesting here uh, right at the start in, in verse uh, 1 there. She says to Ruth, My daughter, I must find a home for you where you will be well provided for. Now, if you've got one of your, the church Bibles there, you'll notice a little, uh, little letter next to the word home. It says B there. You look down at the footnotes. Uh, and the footnote says it's the same word, or it's, it's the word find rest. When Naomi says, I want to find a home for you, it's the word find rest. Uh, and then it says, see chapter 1, verse 9. It's all a bit sort of, tech, tech, you know, it's a bit wordy, but bear with it. It's really important. Um, way back in Moab, in chapter 1, uh, Naomi had prayed for her daughters-in-law, for Ruth and Orpah. She'd prayed for them. She'd prayed that God would show them kindness and grant each of them rest in the home of another husband. This was Naomi's prayer for her daughters-in-law back in Moab before they came back to Israel. She'd prayed for them and said, may, may the Lord give you rest in the home of another husband. And here, in chapter 3, it's as if she started to see that she is the one, Naomi is starting to see that she is the one that God would use to give Ruth this rest. She's the one God would use. She doesn't just pray for God to help Ruth and then sit back passively. As she kind of comes out of her bitterness and her darkness and her depression, she starts to see herself as an active player in God's kindness being extended to the people around her, particularly to Ruth. So she says in verse 3, "'Wash, put on perfume, and get dressed in your best clothes.'" Then go to the threshing floor, but don't let him know that you are there until he has finished eating and drinking. When he lies down, note the place where he's lying. Then go and uncover his feet and lie down, and he will tell you what to do. It's a pretty full-on, kind of, it's a bold plan, right? It's a bold plan. Wait till he's asleep and go and uncover his feet. It's kind of like, uh, you might get this if you ever go to sleep and you, you, there's a bit of a uh, hole where the blanket hasn't quite covered your back. And you wake up with this chill that you just can't get rid of. Maybe that's just me. Uh, she goes, so she goes and uncovers his feet uh, so that he'll wake up in the middle of the night when everyone else is fast asleep. It's a really bold kind of plan. It's a pretty dangerous plan too, though. That she comes, Ruth is dressed up. Uh, she's alone at night. And remember when Ruth is the time that Ruth sets... We looked at this a few weeks ago, if you weren't here with us. It's set in the time of the judges. Uh, set in the time of the judges, uh, which we looked at last year, a while ago. But uh, this time of the judges was pretty full on. It was um, a time of moral chaos. There's no telling what would happen to a single young woman out alone at night. So it's dangerous, but not only dangerous for Ruth herself, uh, there's a great risk of scandal here, isn't there? Um, we're not actually meant to see this as any, anything dodgy going on. It's not a dodgy thing that Naomi has come up with. It's, it is intimate 
and it is clearly an invitation to love. It's clearly an invitation for Boaz. But from what we already know about Ruth and Boaz, this isn't just a kind of crude seduction scene or something like that. Uh, Naomi and Ruth are boldly laying their cards on the table, asking Boaz for marriage, not for a one-night stand. <laughs> okay. um, but even though that's the case, there's clearly the possibility of scandal, and they know it. They, they kind of, that's why they, she's sort of creeping in at night. There's clearly the possibility of being misunderstood. Um, added to that, the threshing floor, this threshing floor where they would sort of do, you know, that, that that's, uh, was known as a place where prostitutes would come in those days. So you can kind of imagine the gossip that would spread around, right? If she was seen, Ruth, this Moabite, this foreign widow, is that what she has to resort to? It's, so it's risky, uh, but Naomi thinks it's worth the risk. It's worth the risk. God has clearly been at work. You see that at the end of last chapter. She recognises that God has clearly been at work in all of this, showing his kindness in bringing Ruth to Boaz. Uh, the fact that Ruth just happened to land in Boaz's field, the fact that Boaz just happens to be a single man and a guardian redeemer, all give Naomi confidence to take a risk and to try to find Ruth rest. A home. Naomi doesn't know how Boaz will respond, but the uncertainty of that future doesn't stop her from acting and taking this risk. So it goes on in this kind of central bit, verse 6 to 15, this whispered conversation. Ruth goes, she follows the plan, and uh, can you imagine the wait for Ruth, right? Like Boaz, is, he's got no idea what's about to hit him, but you can imagine Ruth there kind of hiding behind some kind of bush or... Something until they've all had their, they've eaten and drunk and they've lied down after a hard day's work, pretty exhausted. Uh, it would have been a pretty tense wait, I imagine, for Ruth. But then, can you, do, I mean, it, you can imagine the shock for Boaz too, right? You get a sense of it in verse 8 there. Uh, in the middle of the night, something startled the man. Probably his feet being uncovered and he turns, he kind of sits up and turns around. And look! There's a woman there, a woman lying at his feet. I imagine his brain is just about to explode, right, at this point. Poor old Boaz. He's, uh, you see, everything we know about Boaz, he's a deeply, he's a godly man. Um, he doesn't just follow God's law. He takes it further. He goes to the heart of it. He doesn't just leave the grain. He adds to it. He, he, he clearly knows that God's very clear teaching in the, 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 the law, uh, that sex is God's good gift that's designed for marriage and only for marriage. Um, so waking up on the threshing floor, right, with a woman lying at his feet, you can imagine his panic, this guy. And all he can do is whisper, Who are you? <laughs> Who are you? Well... What's going through his mind at that point? You know, who, who is this woman? Maybe there's something going on in his mind that perhaps it could be that, uh, that Ruth, that distant relative. Perhaps it was more than he could have hoped for to hear this woman who he had noticed, the woman he had provided for, say, I am your servant Ruth. Back in chapter 2, Ruth calls herself a, Moab, a foreigner, a Moabites. 
here, that's changed. It's more, I am your servant, Ruth. When they had that chat two, uh, last week, well, last week in our, our time, seven weeks before in the, in the story, they, Ruth and Boaz had that chat the first time they kind of met. Um, Boaz says to Ruth, he kind of praises her for the kindness that she had shown to Naomi, and he says in 2 verse 12, May the Lord repay you for what you have done. May you be richly rewarded by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. Ruth remembers what Boaz said. And there's something really important here in what she says on the threshing floor when she says, I am your servant, Ruth. Spread, back in verse chapter 3 we are now, verse 9, spread the corner of your garments over me since you are a, kin, a guardian redeemer of our family. Literally, and if you've got an, another version, an ESV, for instance, or a more kind of literal translation, literally it says, she says to Boaz, spread your wing over me. You see what she's doing? Boaz had prayed for God's blessing on Ruth and now Ruth gently but clearly invites Boaz to be the means by which that blessing comes true. (laughs) Spread your wing over me. Ruth says, Ruth knows that she has come under Yahweh's wings into his people. She says, in effect, she says, she knows she has experienced his kindness. And now she says to Boaz, now do this for me, Boaz. Be like Yahweh to me. Spread your wing over me. And Boaz, well, he's a goner, right? He's a goner. He's love struck. Ruth's asking him to be the vehicle of God's kindness for her. Um, right, that's what Ruth's asking. Be, show, be God's kindness to me. Spread your wing over me. But all he sees is her kindness to him. You notice that as you go on? She, verse 10. This kindness is, uh, is greater than that which you showed earlier, the kindness that she showed to Naomi. Boaz said, this is even greater than what you did for your mother-in-law. You have not run after the younger men, whether rich or poor, See, he knows she could have gone after others. Uh, but, uh, and she, he just sees her kindness to him. But thinking about others who could have kind of got in the way of their relationship makes him realise there is another. <laughs> there is another who has a stake in all of this. There is, we find out as you read through the rest of the chapter, there's another guardian redeemer. Another guardian redeemer who is closer than Boaz, who has a a more kind of prior claim than Boaz does to redeem Naomi and her family. So uh, it's Boaz's turn now to spring into action. He's he's going to sort it out. Um, He says he'll sort it out today. (laughs) Um, But we're going to hear how he sorts it out next week, so come back for that. Uh, But before he heads off, and while all the men are asleep, he pours this, you notice that as you read through, he pours this huge amount of grain, uh, six measures of barley you see down in verse 15. Um, he pours this huge amount of grain into her shawl. 
they don't know exactly how much it is, but it's, you know, it's, it's a lot. <laughs> it's this massive kind of shawl full of grain. Um, Ruth is used to hard work by the sounds of her, but even so, it would have been a fair slog, I reckon, to carry this huge, um, this huge uh, uh, um, thing of grain home, this huge bundle of grain, but she does. And she gets home, do you notice that? She gets to Naomi, and don't you love this? Uh, you can see it down in verse 16. Uh, don't you love what Naomi says? She gets home and Naomi asks, uh, how did it go, my daughter? It's so understated. Can you imagine how nervous Naomi would have been? I mean, it's all her idea, right? She's the one who sent Ruth off in the first place. Uh, she probably, I imagine she was up all night <laughs> worrying about what's going on. Would Boaz say yes? Would they be seen and suddenly bring scandal on everyone? Would Boaz politely decline and leave Ruth heartbroken? She doesn't assume anything, so she kind of casually asks, so, how did it go? Uh, Ruth, of course, comes back overflowing. It says she, she kind of spills out everything that happened. She says to Naomi everything that Boaz had done for her. And then she spills out this huge amount of grain. It's like this kind of overflowing, it's like a bit of a, a taste of the fullness that's on the way. It's a nervous wait though, isn't it? Like Naomi says, wait my daughter until you find out what's ha what happens. Right down at the end, verse 18, it's a nervous wait. But Naomi's confident as well. She knows the sort of man Boaz is. Uh, she knows there's a chance that this other redeemer will get in the way, but she's also uh, pretty confident she's trusting in, in this man Boaz. She knows he's the sort of guy who won't rest until this is sorted out. Well, friends, this is a chapter... It's a, I mean, on one level, right, it's just a brilliant story. Uh, it is a chapter brimming with kindness, with the kindness of Naomi for Ruth in sort of taking that responsibility to find Ruth rest, the kindness of Ruth for Naomi. I mean, that's all... The whole book of Ruth is sort of shadowed by that. The kindness of Ruth for Boaz... Uh, the kindness of Boaz for both of them. It's just this chapter brimming with kindness. Uh, but, friends, we saw this in the first week and we've mentioned it on the way through. The underlying reality through the whole book is actually not the kindness of the people in it, uh, but the sovereign kindness of God to his people. We've seen even down, today we've seen, you know, even down to the law God gave to his people Israel, embedded kindness into their everyday life. Uh, Boaz knew that when the Moabite Ruth came into Israel, Boaz knew that she was coming into a realm of kindness under the wings of Yahweh. She was coming to live with a people who lived under God's wings, a people who God tenderly cared for, not because they were good in themselves. That's really firmly kind of imprinted through the history of Israel. It wasn't because they deserved it or anything like that. But simply out of his own loving kindness. This kind of big kindness that she came. But we've also seen God's, ki God's kindness, not just in the kind of law that he gave to Israel, the character of that people in general. We've seen it in Ruth up to this point in his intimate personal work um, 
God is the author of this story. He's weaving these events to bring about his blessing, his kindness to Naomi and Ruth and Boaz. They couldn't always see that. They couldn't always see that. But he was there, and as we'll see next week, not just his kindness and blessing to them, but we'll see how his blessing through them extends, goes global, extends to the whole world through this story. Uh, Before we get to the kindness that these characters show to each other, we need to see this underlying fundamental kindness. We need, you see, before Boaz was kind, he was a receiver of God's kindness. He knew it. He knew he was under under God's wings. Um, The reason Naomi was shaken out of her bitterness and her emotional turmoil to show kindness to Ruth was because back at the end of chapter 2, she started to see God's kindness to her. Um, I went, I, no, years ago, I was in a Bible study and we were kind of reading through this book of Ruth together. And one, uh, we were talking about this kind of theme and one guy in the study was really kind of agitated and a bit worked up. Um, uh, we had a really good sort of you know, back and forward, to and fro, which is good. Uh, but it, it, this, he, he didn't like this word kindness. He didn't like the word kindness. It seemed too weak. It seemed too pathetic. Well, it's there though, isn't it? It's there in Ruth. It's there in the Bible. It's a major theme of Ruth. But friends, if we miss it, we will miss something that is at the heart of God himself. Perhaps you, uh, friends here today, perhaps you struggle to see yourself as a receiver. For lots of us, that's just really difficult. You have learnt to be self-sufficient. You've learnt to rely on yourself, not on anyone else, because others have let you down. Or maybe for you, your pride just kind of bucks up at the thought of being a receiver of someone else's kindness. Uh, there's more to say here, friends, and it's you know, maybe more complex than just this, but do you see that fundamental to being a Christian, being part of God's people, is recognising that you are under his wing, that is recognising your need, your helplessness, and receiving God's kind and gracious salvation. If you're not a Christian today, that's all, that's all being a Christian is. Recognising your great need and receiving the great salvation that God has freely given you. If you are too hardened, brothers and sisters, if you are too hardened to receive kindness, may God guard your heart from being too hard to receive kindness from him. If you're too hard to receive it from others, please don't be hard to receive it from him. A heart that won't receive is a heart that in the end will be totally out of place in the new creation that God is bringing in, where everything will be the perfect gift of God's kindness. For others, though, it might not be pride, uh, but maybe for you it's a kind of despair that actually stops you here. This is really important, friends. Uh, It's so important that 
Now, in a second, I'm going to talk about their kindness, the people's kindness. But it's so important we don't go there first. We start that, we, that God's kindness to us is our bedrock. Do you notice Naomi was incapable of kindness at the end of chapter 1 and into chapter 2? Naomi, uh, her bitterness and depression had just shrunk her world down, right? She was incapable of sort of thinking outside herself. But God never stopped showing his kindness to her. Isn't that wonderful? God never stopped showing his kindness to her. Perhaps you're like that. Maybe your world just at times shrinks down, you find yourself bitter. It's possible even to be more depressed by um, noticing characters like Boaz, right? This kind of outstanding man who does everything right. (laughs) But the primary word here, friends, is not be kind like Boaz. It's know the reality of God's kindness towards his people that never stops even when you can't see it, even when you are bitter, even in your darkest day. It was through seeing that, that Naomi slowly, over seven weeks, came out of her bitterness and darkness and was able herself to then show kindness to others. Friends, the underlying reality is God's kindness, but there is something new in this chapter, this, or some sort of focus in this chapter on the way in which God's kindness spills out through these people to the people around them. And it just overflows. They all become a vehicle of God's kindness for each other. We've seen that on the way through. Naomi sort of actively takes part in being the answer to her own prayer for Ruth. And the same with Boaz or He ends up doing the same thing. Ruth was brought under God's wings. She courageously shows kindness to Naomi and Boaz. It's all through it. And it can't be any other way, can it? If you have received such incredible kindness, that's going to show itself, right? It'll show itself in whatever relationships you're in. It'll show itself in our church family here, Um, how we relate to each other, how we kind of disagree with each other, how we, uh, however we live together, that's going to show itself. It'll show itself in our, in our family lives, in our homes. I read some pretty shocking stats this week about domestic abuse and churches aren't immune. Um, that's a really hard issue to talk about, isn't it? Um, this lack of, this total lack of kindness... Isn't that what that is, right? A lack of kindness. Um, friends, both, both men and women actually are equally capable of unkindness and are equally capable of um, committing evil against each other. But I think there's... And looking at Ruth 3, there is something to say particularly to men here. The stats I read at least said that the perpetrators of violence are three times more likely to be men Men, if you don't have in your mind that you are a helpless receiver of God's tender kindness, it won't spill out in your homes. Don't buy the lie of masculinity sold to you by our culture that says a man is someone who dominates others. The truest man, the greater Boaz, Jesus himself, 
was also the kindest. There's, I mean, there's so much more to say about so many different areas we have. But friends, we have, they had reason, all the people in this story had reason to know God's kindness to them that spilled out to each other. Don't we have much more reason for overwhelming thankfulness for God's kindness? We have the greater Boaz, our great Redeemer, Jesus, the perfect embodiment of God's kindness to us, who spread his wings over his bride, over, over you on the cross, in the ultimate expression of his love. If we've received that rightly, humbly, knowing our inability, but knowing God's undeserved, gracious kindness, that is going to spill over in all our lives with each other if we receive that humbly. Friends, there's so much to think through. Maybe there's just things for you that are just starting to be things that you need to chat through, maybe things that you need to repent of even or um, to pray about. Um, But fundamental to all of this, isn't it, as we've seen, is knowing this reality of God's kindness, God's kindness to you. In a moment, we're going to sing about that, the great expression of God's kindness in Christ alone. Um, I'm going to pray for us now. Let's pray. Father, keep us, from, keep us from a kind of arrogant hardness that refuses to receive your great kindness to us. Thank you for this wonderful story of your kindness to your people. It sort of slots into the great story of your overwhelming loving kindness in um, redeeming a people for yourself, not because of how good they were, but simply because of your love. Thank you for though that this this story shows us this particular kindness you showed to these people and uh, how that spilled out in their relationships with each other. Lord, each of us, wherever we're at, Father, please, uh, even now, um, we pray that we will see and know the reality of your kindness to us. Father, we may be in a position where we are uh, just unable at the moment to show kindness to others uh, for whatever reason. Uh, Perhaps we're in a position where we have recognised our own failure to show kindness where we ought to have. Lord, for each of us, may we continually come back to the reality of your great, never-ending, unfailing, loving kindness to us in the Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, may, may that be the thing that sinks down deep into us every day and transforms the way that we uh, relate to each other, transforms uh, our, our whole lives and gives us a joyful confidence uh, as we wait for you. I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen.